Thank you, Miss Jacqueline. As uh, Miss Jacqueline was singing, it, it brought back just a fond memory of my last journey to Haiti. And I was preaching uh, revival. Some of you remember Brother Wilner. He was the national pastor from Haiti and was preaching a revival there in uh, that church in the town of Lily, Haiti. And uh, that was their theme song uh, that week. And uh, that song in Creole, it was beautiful. The whole congregation singing that song in Creole. And uh, one of the greatest movements of God I've ever witnessed uh, was at that, that meeting. And one night uh, during, during the midst of, of that meeting, um, the Lord just showed up. And uh, there was deep conviction. And uh, the folks just began weeping. And uh, there were lives that, uh, there were things that I had no idea what God was doing, but uh, there were people living in sin, and they came to repentance. And uh, there were several that were saved that night, and it, it was just amazing what God did that night. And uh, what we did not know is that there was a woman that had not been in church for some time, and uh, she really did not know what was happening there at the church. She came with a conviction that she needed to go to the church, but she was so embarrassed to come in, and so she sat and listened on the outside to what was going on. And uh, so that service that night went on for several hours, uh, just as people were uh, getting things right with God, and uh, God was working in hearts. And uh, all this time, this woman on the outside was listening and under conviction. And, and then as finally things came to an end, uh, uh, one of the, uh, the folks there at that revival saw this woman and uh, got to lead that woman to the Lord that, that day. And uh, it was just, I can't explain other than God did it. And then, so that song brought back a fond memory of a, a time when I witnessed God work in just ways there was no explanation other than God did it uh, there. Second Chronicles chapter 20, if you'll turn your Bible, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and uh, if you're able to stand with me this morning, let's read a portion of God's word today, Second Chronicles chapter 20, and I want to look here, verse number 5, Second Chronicles chapter 20, we'll start here at verse number 5, and uh, Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new courts. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, if when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit." 
O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And we focused upon that thought last week and developed this chapter out of that thought. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Uh, we are going to today look at this prayer of Jehoshaphat, one of the great prayers of the Bible, and uh, relate that to some principles that I believe are so needed and applicable for you and I here this morning. We're just going to try to be practical here this morning and give you some, uh, maybe some ammunition or maybe some principles that will help you uh, when you go through some uh, trials and difficulties and heartbreaks and heartaches and relationships and on it goes. Uh, just some ammunition, some principle uh, to build upon. If you'll join me here this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray that God's way would be done? Let's take a moment just to yield to the Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you. Uh, just this morning, your presence, you're so good, so gracious to us. And, and Lord, help us this morning as we open your word. You know the needs of hearts here today. And uh, Lord, there are those in this audience today going just through some difficulties and trials, and we thank you for those trials and difficulties. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the principles that you give us in your word, uh, the directions that you guide us, uh, just to help us with our homes, with our families, with our church, and uh, whatever we endure, whatever we face, Lord, that you're on the throne. Help us this morning in preaching. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. And as you're seated, want to just go back and again give you a little bit of the context and uh, some of the things that we dealt with last week. If you go to chapter 20 and verse number 1, Jehoshaphat is facing an extremely difficult situation. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Uh, then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. Behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And we saw that Jehoshaphat is a good king. He loves the Lord, but he's facing something in his kingdom, a great multitude, Moabites, Ammonites, others, have come against Jehoshaphat to battle. They've come against Judah, and later he describes this in his prayer. Uh, he says, to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. Then we delve into this. One of the great prayers of the Bible is prayed by Jehoshaphat and uh, kind of concludes in verse number 12, uh, where Jehoshaphat says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? Then he says, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. He says, God, the, the problem is bigger than we are. And uh, the army that is coming against us, it's bigger than our army. And Lord, we look at this situation from a human perspective. This is impossible. It's a hopeless situation. Then he prays in that prayer, neither know we what to do. And I preached uh, through this several times, what do you do when you don't know what to do? And I gave you an outline. If you did not get this outline last week, I, I want to give this to you just very quickly. Write this down. And if you don't get it down, you want to come to me. This outline is help me over and over. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you put your face uh, or your eyes upon the face of the Lord? And in verses 3 and 4, uh, Jehoshaphat came to seek the Lord. So what do you do? You seek 
the Lord. He proclaimed a fast. And there are times in our Christian life that we need to fast and seek the face of God. And they gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. And corporately as a nation, they fasted. Uh, they came together seeking the Lord. In verses 6 through 12, we're going to deal with this morning. What do you do when you don't know what to do? How do you put your eyes upon the Lord? You pray to God. You seek God and you pray to God. There's a model prayer for you when in distress. Uh, verses 13 through 17, you get a word from God. Uh, when you're facing the trial, get into the Bible. Because God's word will build faith. And that's exactly what the word of God did. The thus saith the Lord did for Jehoshaphat, the word was, fear not. Uh, there's nothing to fear. Uh, I'm bigger than this army. Uh, God's word will build that faith. And then God's word will give you direction. And God, when he gave them a word, gave them direction. He said, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. For the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And God gives clear direction for them. So you seek God, you pray to God, you get a word from God. And you worship God. In verse number 18, if you read this, uh, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, all Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And we read in verses 19, 21, and 22, uh, they began to sing praises unto the Lord. And I'll just uh, give a, a little secret that has helped me in my life. There have been some times when facing trial, I've come into this auditorium when nobody is around so nobody can hear me and I've opened up a song book and I just began to sing and to praise the Lord. And I find that when I do that and when you don't feel like doing that, that's when you need to do that. And uh, I found that is, has been such a great blessing and I've seen uh, the Lord work a great uh, deliverance uh, just through praising and worshiping Him. And so you worship the Lord in verse number 20, you obey God. Uh, you do what you know to do already. Uh, you obey God. You do those things. Don't quit doing what you know to do. Uh, don't get out of the Word of God. Don't get away from church. Uh, uh, don't get away from fellowship with the Lord. Uh, you do what you know to do. And then as God gives direction, you continue to obey God. And then in verse number 20, you trust God. You believe in the Lord. Believe in His Word. Trust the Lord. And as you follow these principles, you can see the Lord uh, during the difficulties work uh, great blessings for your life and in the lives of the things that uh, are burdens to you that you pray for. Now God wrought a special victory that we looked at last week. God gave the spoil of the enemy. God gave them respect and rest uh, from those round about them. Uh, God worked one of the great revivals of the Bible. Now today, I want to focus a bit more. We covered it just briefly in our message last week, but I want to examine Jehoshaphat's prayer uh, maybe in more detail today. Now, Jehoshaphat's faced a, a grave situation, and he could have responded in many negative ways. Uh, he could have responded in fear, and at first he did. Uh, for the Bible says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared. Now we saw in Sunday school this morning, the book of Jeremiah, uh, that that remnant left behind in Judah reacted in fear, and in fear they went down to Egypt. Uh, so in the difficulty, rather than seeking the Lord, they ran from the will of God. 
And that's dangerous. Never be guided or directed by fear. And if fear controls you, you'll do many foolish things. You're to walk by faith uh, and not by sight. So you are to walk in uh, faith and not in fear. And so don't respond in fear. Uh, we can respond in doubt or unbelief. And, and Jehoshaphat could have done that. And there would have been no hope. Of, but he set himself to seek the face of God. And he comes in faith and he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Uh, we can have a fleshly response. We can take matters into our own hands. How many times I've gotten myself in trouble because I took matters in my own hands and did not have a clear direction or word from God. There's a fleshly response that can come about. But Jehoshaphat responded in faith. And he says, our eyes were upon thee. I'm not looking at the circumstances. My eyes are not on the enemy. They're too big for us. My eyes are not upon the problem. Uh, my eyes are upon God. My eyes are not upon my own inability, but my eyes are upon the Lord. But Lord, he says, we're looking to thee. And so this prayer of Jehoshaphat reflects the faith of Jehoshaphat. See, God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so maybe you're facing some difficulties and some things that are out of your hands and some things that you don't understand and maybe some things that are even the result of your own failure and maybe even dealing with the chastening of God. And last week we saw uh, that what took place in chapter 20 was the result of the chastening hand of God because Jehoshaphat joined affinity with Ahab. Uh, uh, a good king joining affinity with a wicked king. And maybe because of your life or situation, enemy comes against you. And you see yourself in an impossible situation. Now like Jehoshaphat this morning, you can look to the Lord. You can have your eyes upon the Lord looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, Jehoshaphat's prayer this morning can be a tremendous help and guide. Now I'm not going to look at all the details of the prayer. But I'm going to pull some things out that personally to me have been a blessing as I have sought the Lord in these difficulties and these times and uh, just uh, seeking the Lord, some things in this prayer that God has used in my own life. I alluded to some of them last week, but I'm going to build upon them this morning. So as you look to God, uh, the first thing you can do is consider His person. Uh, in verse number 6, uh, read this with me. As Jehoshaphat prays, uh, notice his understanding of God. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? See, Jehoshaphat realizes God is, is sovereign. He's supreme Lord. He's ruler. He's the one who possesses the highest authority. See, God is, is sovereign ruler of the universe. God is above all. God is over all. And he says, art not thou God in heaven? See, he understands it's God that spoke the heavens into being. It's God that made everything from nothing. 
It's God that spoke the sun and the moon and the stars. And I love what Genesis says. It's like God just waved his hand and he made the stars also. And all the millions and billions of stars uh, were put into place by the word of God. And it's God that holds the heavens in place and it's through him that all things consist. And uh, when you begin to look at who God is and that sovereignty of God and understand that nature of God, it makes your problem uh, seem just a little bit insignificant, doesn't it, in comparison to God? Well, the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Uh, so when Jehoshaphat received word of the multitude coming against him, I can kind of picture Jehoshaphat just looking up into the sky. And as he looks up into the sky, he can see the hand of God. And he prays, Lord, you're God in heaven. I have told the story as we moved to build this building and we moved to, to build it debt-free. And I can remember the time I thought I had so failed our church. I thought we'd got into a project and there was no way we could finish the project. And I remember the night we had the metal roof on. I remember walking right over to this side of the building. And I remember just so discouraged in my heart and I was defeated. I thought, there's no way. We've used all of our money. There's no way we're going to get through this project. I remember looking and I just saw the reflection of the stars on that roof. And all of a sudden I realized, God, forgive me because this is your problem and you're big. And so it helps us to look at who God is. He rules in the heavens and sometimes we put God in our box and we keep God so small because of our finity and he's infinite. And we understand that. And it helps us. Notice the next statement there, verse 6. Rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? See, it's God that formed the nations. It's God the one that sets the bounds of those nations. And Jehoshaphat understood that the Moabites, the Ammonites, could do nothing unless God allowed them to do that. And we'll see later on, he understood the principle that God had given that land to Abraham and to his children forever. And he understood that it's God that rules in the kingdoms and the affairs of men. Uh, consider with me for just a moment the person of God. He's God. Sovereign creator. He's God of the universe. He's God of all nations. He's God above all. And overall, looking to God makes your circumstances seem not so impossible. And Jehoshaphat got his eyes off of the Moabites, off of the Ammonites, and onto God. And that's what separated Joshua and Caleb back in the Old Testament from the evil spies. The evil spies came back to give their report. They said, we saw the giants of Canaan. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they said, we can't. Jehoshua, or excuse me, Joshua, Caleb stilled the people. They said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. One group saw the giants, Joshua and Caleb saw God. And that's what separates us. That's what separated David. Saul and his armies saw Goliath, the giant. 
And they heard the words of Goliath and they feared and they fled. But David saw God. And David, seeing God, defeated Goliath. Friend, I guarantee you, mom and dad, in raising your children, you better see God. And we better see God through the difficulties of the United States and our world today. And if we're not careful, we get our eyes on all the problems, all the difficulties. If you listen to the news very long, you're going to get discouraged. If you get your eyes off of God, you are in a great trouble today. Uh, you need to keep your eyes focused upon God. Can I say, my God's still on the throne. He's still in charge. He's still in control. He still rules in the affairs of men. There's nothing that can take place unless God allows it. And so get your eyes upon the Lord. And as you look to God, consider His person this morning. And then can I expand upon that? Look in verse 6. As you look to God, you need to consider His power. He says in verse 6, And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. See, Jehoshaphat sees that God is all-powerful. Uh, Jehoshaphat knew that the Moabites, the Ammonites, were resisting God in coming against him. And none can ever succeed in going against God. You, you can never fight against God and win the battle. Never. To resist God, it's utterly foolish. And Jehoshaphat understood that. See, consider with me this morning God's power. By his power, he spoke the world into being. By his power, he made everything from nothing. All he had to do was speak and say, let there be light. And there was light. Yeah, that's the big bang. God spoke it and bang, it was there. God put it into place. And that's the power of God. Is anything too hard for God this morning? See, God can give Abraham a son in his old age. A son when Sarah is beyond childbearing years. Because nothing for God. It's God that can part the Red Sea when Moses and the children of Israel come to the brink of the sea and the Red Sea is before them and Pharaoh's armies are behind them and the mountains are beside them. An impossible situation but is anything too hard for God? And God can part the waters and take his children through on dry land and then God can destroy the armies of Pharaoh in that same sea. And that it is God that can give water from the rock and manna from heaven. And it's God that can bring about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And scientists say, you Christians are foolish. That's scientifically impossible. Yes, it is scientifically impossible. But this creation is scientifically impossible. And the very existence of life today is scientifically impossible. And the fact that it all doesn't blow up in a moment of time, that's scientifically impossible. It's God. And he's the explanation of it all. Yes, we believe that. Is anything too hard for him? That's why he can heal the sick and make the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he had the power over demons. And he can calm the sea and he can raise Lazarus from the dead. And he can save the lost and he can conquer death. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you see this morning, your problems are no problem. Him. Hebrews 11 tells the stories of men and women 
who believed in a God that could do anything. And through faith they conquered, through faith they overcame. They did that not in their own strength, but through the power of God. And so as you look to God, it helps to consider His power. Let me build upon that. As you look to God, would you consider His purpose? Jehoshaphat understood God's purpose for Israel. You see, it was God that chose them. In verse number 6, he said, O Lord God of our fathers. That takes us back to Genesis chapter 12. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your land. I want you to go to a place that I will show thee. There I will make of thee a great nation. God said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then we'll find that God would give that promise further to Isaac and to Jacob and then to King David. So God would give them that promise and he had a purpose for his people. And then God would give them that land. Notice in verse number 7. He says, Art not thou our God? who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. See, God worked a miracle in giving them that land. And God gave to them this everlasting gift. He said he gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend, forever. He made an eternal covenant with his people and that eternal covenant is reiterated in the Psalms and over and over in the book of Ezekiel and uh, through many of the Old Testament prophets. And uh, so Jehoshaphat would call and bear to mind that covenant that God had with their forefathers. And then in verse number 10, he says, And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade, when they came out of the land of Egypt... He says, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession. It's God's possession which thou has given us to inherit. See, these nations were going against God's plan. They were going against God's purpose. And Jehoshaphat had grounds upon which to pray, understanding that God would never break his covenant. And that God will always keep His word. Now let me make some applications for us here this morning. Please understand this applies to those that are truly born again, washed in the blood of Christ. They're sealed by the Spirit of God. A lost person cannot claim these promises. Do you realize that if you are truly born again, God has given to you the gift of eternal life? It's an eternal covenant. God makes this so clear in his word. He says in John chapter 5 verse 24. Verily, verily I say unto you. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. Hath everlasting life. Shall not come into condemnation. But is passed from death unto life. That's God's promise. That's God's covenant. Uh, you keep your place here. Turn with me to the gospel of John. Chapter number 10. Just wonderful marvelous promise. That God gives. John chapter 10. Notice in verse number 27, John 10, verse number 27. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Notice what God says to his sheep and of his sheep. And I give unto them eternal life, 
They shall never perish. It means if you're God's child, you'll never go to hell. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. He says, I and my Father are one. What Jesus says, if you are truly born again, I hold you. And no man can pluck you out of my hand. And he says, my Father holds you. And no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. But he expands upon that in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13 where the Bible says the moment we believe we are sealed with that Holy Spirit to promise which is the earnest of the guarantee of that inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And so God the Holy Spirit holds us and seals us and no man can break that seal. It's an eternal covenant. Do you realize the enemy can never take away that possession from a truly saved person? He can't take the possession, but let me tell you what he seeks to do. He works hard to take from a saved person other aspects of that inheritance. Now look back in John 10, verse number 10. You realize a saved person can have the abundant Christian life. He says in verse 10, John 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. See, the abundant Christian life is a life of absolute surrender to Jesus. It's a life of joy. It's a life of fruitfulness. It's a life of victory. And that's God's intent for His children. And Satan works to negate the influence and the testimony of a Christian to rob the Christian of that abundant life. And do you understand like Jehoshaphat, we can pray honestly with the Lord. How they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession which thou hast given us to inherit. See, a saved person can have a victorious, overcoming Christian life. Uh, go forward to the book of 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. Chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. In 1 John chapter number 4, look at verse number 4 with me. Notice this promise that God has for His children. He says, Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Go to chapter 5, verse number 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begat loveth him also, that is begotten of him. But this we know, that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory, that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? See, we don't have to live a defeated Christian life. Uh, we don't have to live under the bondage of sin, the bondage of addiction, and the bondage of defeat. As a child of God, you have an inheritance through Jesus Christ that can be claimed in His name, in His power, uh, and uh, as uh, the principles of God's Word are put into place. As you look to God, consider His purpose for your life. As you look to God, let's go back to 2 Chronicles 20. Really, this is where I wanted to go this morning. And I got to looking at the other, and it blessed my heart. And, and so I, I, I didn't focus on this last part to the level I had intended initially. 
But as you look to God, consider His promises. Now, I want you to see something. Second Chronicles 20, as Jehoshaphat prays, he claims God's promise. Look in verse number 8. In verse number 8, he says, And they dwelt therein, have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name's saying, If when evil cometh upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now notice in verse 5, it says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So Jehoshaphat is standing there in the temple. Go back with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Let me give you the background. Let's get the promise that Jehoshaphat is claiming that he's quoting. Goes back to the dedication of Solomon's temple. And in this dedication of the temple in verse number 12, as this temple is dedicated to the Lord, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. So this is a powerful promise that I want to look at this morning that can help us and make some application. I want you to see something, and something caught my attention. I, I heard a message, and, and it just, wow. I saw it in a way I'd never seen it before. Notice here the source of judgment. Notice in verse 13. God said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, here God is talking to His people, and when His people get away from Him, He chastens, He disciplines His people. And judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. You see, it is God that sends the drought. It's God that sends the locusts. It's God that sends the pestilence. It was God that disciplined Judah in the days of Jehoshaphat. We pointed that out last week, and it sure appears that the land of God is uh, being removed the hand of God is, is being removed today from the land in, in a way. And it sure appears that God's judgment is coming upon this land as we look at America and we look at our situation today and we look at the world today. And it sure appears that the hand of God is being removed and sure appears that God is allowing judgment. Notice God said, if I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. See, God controls the physical realm. Remember, Elijah prayed and God shut the heavens for the space of three and a half years. All material blessings come from God. Your houses and cars and jobs and food, everything is from the hand of God and God can withhold uh, those physical blessings in just a moment of time. But there's an application into the spiritual realm. You know, God can send a spiritual famine. It can be a famine for hearing the word of God. When there's a famine for the word of God, then every man does that which is right in his own eyes because the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. And without the word of God, there's spiritual confusion. And I kind of think we're experiencing spiritual confusion today. Or God said, if I command the locusts to, vow, to devour the land. Interestingly, if you study locusts in the Bible... Locusts were always used as a tool of God's judgment. 
One of the plagues in Egypt was that of the locust. One of the judgments during the tribulation will be some weird locusts. See, locusts are grasshoppers that have developed a group or herd mentality. They began to band together. And as these grasshoppers band together, uh, they devour everything in their path. Uh, one locust, they say, can eat his weight in one day. When you band millions of grasshoppers or locusts together, uh, they will bring great devastation and destruction to a land. I was reading of uh, an infestation a couple of years ago in an area in Africa, and they literally just wiped out a region of vegetation. Now, let me just apply this principle, because I, I believe there are locusts today devouring our land. The homes, the families, the children, the churches. I'm seeing with social media today this banding mentality, this group mentality. There's devastation upon the land and the form of government that was handed to us by our forefathers, a republic. And most people don't even understand what that means. But that is being taken and withdrawn. I believe it's locusts devouring the land. But God said if I send pestilence among my people, pestilence would be disease, malignant, contagious disease, sicknesses in the physical realm. And, and we've seen over the last two years an increase across this nation of heart disease, of cancers, of strokes and on it goes. In fact, uh, life insurance companies reporting a 40% increase in the total mortality. Webster's 1820 dictionary describes pestilence as mischievous or mischievous, noxious to morals or society, destructive. And if we apply that in a spiritual realm, I believe we can see this across America where society as a whole and also within Christian families, Christian churches, that moral values are no longer based upon the Word of God, but the moral values have become destructive and for many no longer following the Word of God, the principles of the Word of God, no longer is that the moral standard, but it's what man wants to do in his own eyes. And notice God says He sends this among my people. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat recognized that God had allowed the multitude to come against him. Now look with me in verse 12, 2 Chronicles 7, and verse number 12. I want you to see here the sanctuary and judgment. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer. God said, I've chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. In verse number 15. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend to the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sacrificed or sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And we noticed in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that Jehoshaphat went to the house of the Lord. There in the house of the Lord he claimed this promise. But he realized that sanctuary is a picture of Jesus Christ. That sanctuary 
pictured God's presence in their midst. Do you understand that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us? And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And for a, a blood-bought, born-again child of God, Christ lives in you and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And what does that mean this morning? A saved person has a wonderful promise as we come to Jesus Christ. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace and mercy to help in time of need. That's the promise. And look back at verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 20. Here's the solution for judgment. God says, if my people called by my name. And then he says in verse 14, shall humble themselves. See, God gives grace to the humble. When you face a difficulty, the first thing you ought to do is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You face a situation in your home, your family. Humble yourself before the Lord. And pray. He says, and seek my face. That's what Jehoshaphat did. He sought the face of the Lord and turned from your wicked ways or their wicked ways. That's repentance. And Jehoshaphat put that into practice. Here was the promise that God said. Uh, here, God says, then will I hear from heaven. God said, if my people will come in that state of humility. Friend, you come for your home and say, God, I'm facing a battle. It's too big for me. I need your help. And come humbly before the Lord. Here's a principle. God said he would hear. That he would forgive. That he would heal. Now, friends, God is still God. He's still alive. He can still work with you. He can still work with your family. He can still work with this church. And, and we have many great and precious promises from the Lord. And we complete these promises as did Jehoshaphat, do you understand back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse number 12, Jehoshaphat says, Lord, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. We don't know what to do, but Lord, our eyes are upon thee. God, we're looking to your person, your sovereign, your God. And God, we're looking to your power. Is anything too hard for God? He says, God, we're looking to your purpose. You have given this land and this inheritance. They've come to cast us out of this inheritance. And God, we're claiming your promises. You promised if we would come to this house and seek you and humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways that you would hear from heaven. Now, we sing the song sometimes, God is bigger than any problem. He's bigger than anything. God is bigger than anything we may or may not see. He's bigger than any giant. He's bigger than any mountain. He's bigger than any enemy. Sometimes we get our eyes on the circumstance and the problem, not on God. So I hope this morning this can help us with our needs to bring them to the hand of God. Every head bowed, every